love luck. Cheers. Cheers, brother. How are you? Fantastic. <laughs> Feeling so much better. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, welcome, uh, welcome to the, welcome to my kitchen. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I've been uh, looking forward to this conversation for some time. Me too. You are, uh, you are a, a man about town. You fantastic singer, uh, piano player, um, and uh, we've never been able to work together. Not on anything other than like a jam, right? Yeah, not on a not on an actual gig. Yeah, I I know you do a lot of work with uh, the Lucky Devils, and it's nice to hear that that some of that work is coming back. Man, it is uh, it is a huge thing for obviously me and my family, um, and we had I I had a seven month hiatus yeah. during the lockdowns yeah. of virtually nothing. Yeah, um, so I had. A lot of time to think <laughs> and a lot of time to plan for the, for the next steps. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so in addition to being a professional musician, I just graduated from, uh, Southwest Institute of Healing Arts with my, uh, licensed massage therapy package. And, um, I'll be fully licensed in, you know, six to eight weeks mm. once they process everything. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of a uh seemingly out of the blue but and yet it all coalesced during that time to um to bring out in me more than i had brought out Mm -hmm. and i because i've been a professional performing musician uh virtually no recording virtually no session work or anything like that just been a performing musician for almost 20 years and did the the idea to do the massage therapy did that kind of um start last year i mean was it in response to the to the lack of work i mean it certainly was in response to it it was something that i think had been germinating in my mind for a really long time and i'd been um, because I've been a professional performing musician, anytime that I'm not working, anytime that my ass is not on a stage, yeah. um, I had to myself. Right. And so, um, and also when I came out here in 2012, 2013, um, I didn't know anybody. I, I, came out here for one particular gig that was like five nights a week. And so I was kind of stuck in that little, that little bubble for a while until I started to meet guys like Shea Marshall, um, Chris Pena. Actually, Chris Pena is the one who brought the, or made the connection for lucky devils to happen in Phoenix and, um, and later, LA eventually and really all that. Yeah. No kidding. So Chris, i from what I understand, he did a, um, international musicians league, which is sort, sort of the parent, um, corporation or organization around lucky devils. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did a blue water Kings gig in Miami or something like that. And at the time I was working with, uh, Marley Taylor from Zoe Bowie. Yeah. And that is who I came out to work with. Um, at Masters Ocean Club yeah. all those years ago. And so basically I um I was in the band with Marley 
and Chris Pena was on keys and Jordan Tompkins was on drums from uh, Twin Ponies. Uh-huh. And uh, we we had our you know our gigs at Blue Martini and yeah. and Casino Arizona and stuff like that. And Chris got picked up for this gig through some connection. And um, when they asked him, "Hey, oh, you're in Phoenix. You know, would you be able to recommend um, some players to start up a wedding band out there? We've got this kind of model, et cetera, yeah. et cetera." And uh, and so he recommended me and. Jordan Tompkins, Max Nals. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so we, that was like the original um, core group. And um, and then later on, Shea Marshall, of course, caught wind of it and uh, infiltrated it. <laughs> she does. Um, uh, <laughs> he, he absolutely did not hack into the IML oh, system no. oh, never, no. and insert himself into the process, nor no. did he ever um, <laughs> do anything on Facebook that would be deemed uh, suspicious. <laughs> so... Uh, so <laughs> Uh, so he kind of got in into it and then at the time, because I was still, um, doing master's ocean club five nights or more a week, um, they offered me the producer position within, uh, lucky devils, which is basically you're in the band, but you act as the, um, agent for the band or the, the producer for the, for each gig. And so, um, he and I, just ran around like chickens with our heads cut off, um, chasing every gig from here to LA. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of building it, building it up and getting people into the system. And I would go out and, and get on these gigs with people I had never met in my life before and right. go and try and make music. Oh my God. And it was magical. I mean, it made me, it made me the performer that I am now. Yeah. Um, even with all the, the amazing experience that I had had up at, up till that point, um, nothing could have made me, uh, more seasoned than just jumping in every single weekend, just yeah. jump in the deep end over and over. Oh, yeah. that, that pool's 12 feet. Okay. Well, let's jump in. <laughs> oh, that, that's a, uh, that's a high dive off a cliff. All right, let's do it. And, uh, trial and, by fire, trial man. by fire, you know? Um, I want to go. I want to go back uh, a little farther. Mm-hmm. Um, you grew up in Pensacola, Florida, sort of, sort of. So um, my my family um, grew up in and around Pensacola, Florida. My mom and dad. Um, they are both from elsewhere. My dad was born in Georgia, um, and my mom was born in North Carolina. And she was a military brat. Mm. Her dad was uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, James Robinson, who was uh, the um, pilot for Marine Corps One, which is the presidential helicopter. Wow. And if I remember correctly, he flew for LBJ, Kennedy. Um, no, I'm sorry. Eisenhower, Kennedy, LBJ, Nixon. Wow. And, um, that's and, crazy. <laughs> and so he, so at the end of all that, um, he was, he was set to retire. And so they gave him as his twilight tour, uh, base commander position at Pensacola NAS. Ah. And, um, he bought a place out, um, sort of out in the wood, out, out in the sticks in Milton, which is a little, uh, uh, suburb little, or something. It's not a, yeah, it's a separate little town, but, um, 
he bought that place and was base commander. And then when he retired, he's like, well, why the hell would I ever want want to live anywhere else? So mm-hmm. he, mm-hmm. he stayed. My mom grew up out there. My, my dad was a, um, um, child of a n- neurologist and eventually made his way from Georgia to Gulf breeze, which is, uh, which is an Island between Pensacola on the mainland and Pensacola beach, which is Santa Rosa Island, which is, you know, just that mm-hmm. thin strip of sand. Out right. There. So, right. Right. And then, um, because, because my parents were young and my dad was a musician, we moved around a lot all over Florida. I lived in my grandparents for a long time. And then, um, we, my dad started getting more and more gigs out in Vegas. Mm. And so when I was probably in the third middle of third grade, we relocated to Vegas Mm. middle of fifth grade. Um, we moved back to Pensacola because my mom's mother, my grandmother was, um, sick with cancer. Mm. And so we went back to spend time with her. And then later, uh, must've been eighth grade. I, from then on that, that we moved back to Vegas and I lived out in Vegas for 15 years. And, um, your mother is musical as well. Absolutely. Yeah. what yeah. is her instrument? So she's a keyboard player mm-hmm. and a and primarily a singer. Mm-hmm. And so um, when when uh, after a while of my dad being in Vegas, he got picked up uh, doing cruise ships mm-hmm. with a band called the Spiral Staircase, and they had a one hit wonder in the '60s. Um, I love you more today than yesterday. I know that song. Yeah. That's a great tune. Yeah, it's awesome. I always thought that was Chicago. It sounds very Chicago or um, what's the one? Uh, um, like Almost like a Blood, Sweat, and Tears yeah, yeah. Or, or Chicago or... Um, yeah, what's the other one? They kind of you can you can easily confuse Elvin Bishop. Yeah, uh, fooled around and fell in love. Yes. Yeah. So all of that was on my parents' uh, uh, cover band cover band repertoire. Yeah. And um, so he got picked up by the Spiral Staircase as the drummer, and now and the drummer from the original band was now the lead singer. Mm-hmm. And so um, they were doing cruise ships, they were headlining, and they were and sometimes they would do other. Um, they would just be the show band or whatever right. on, on the ship. Right. And um, so eventually he left Spiral and started his own band, and he had a variety of different people in the band and had all kinds of trouble. Eventually, once my sister and I graduated high school and got out of the house, then my mom was free to rejoin him um, uh-huh. because they met in a band Wow! Uh, you know, in 1984. Wow. And so they, uh, you know, and during most of their marriage, they weren't, playing together my mom wasn't really doing much music she was staying raising at home kids. and raising kids and yeah. holding down the fort yeah so when the opportunity came for um for them to rejoin yeah uh their their musical uh paths um later on my uncle my my mom's brother uh andy robinson who was in the stamps um and who um, was in a, um, he's got a whole, his own whole crazy backstory Mm. and had, um, he lived in Pioch, Nevada out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and we were able to, um, pluck him out from his desert, uh, (laughs) fortress (laughs) and, uh, and, 
and get them to come join us, get them to join them on cruise ships. And then about a year and a half or two years later, I joined them. And so we had the four piece family band, my dad on drums, my mom on keyboard bass for the most part, me on, me on primary keys. And then my uncle on guitar. And how old were you? I was, I had to have been exactly 21. Okay. Because just right out of, like, I couldn't join the cruise ship band unless I was 21. Right. Right. So, um, so at 21, having no, virtually no professional, um, performing experience and and at that time i was playing i was the only thing i was really doing musical music wise um by that point was doing some open mics and playing guitar right and so and doing originals and you know oh cool but that was that was kind of what led to my dad coming back from a cruise ship contract in which he had lost his bass player my mom had to pick up the bass on the keys and he came back, and literally the 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 dude got like yanked off the ship by his neck because he got a because he got in an altercation with the cruise director. <laughs> oh, it's not that's not a good <laughs> that's idea. That's not a good way to go. Don't do that. And so he uh, um, he came back after that incident, and he was like, "Oh my god, you know, yeah. I I so wish that I had more reliable people." with me you know it would be so cool if you know i've got your mom and and your uncle it would be amazing if you would uh consider coming on board and and doing that and i was like i don't want to join mom and dad's band that's not cool right at first and then and i was working for a high-end construction company as the office manager and web designer Uh and so and i was having a great time i was you know becoming a man i was trying to get you know get my feet under me and and figure out how to life right and this is vegas this this is is still in vegas yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah and so um but then shortly um before 07 he he came and he came back and he was like you know would you be interested? And I thought about it for a while. And eventually I came back to him and I said, you know what? It can't be that bad. It's only, it's only going to be a five month contract or right. a three month or whatever it was the first round. I think it was three months. And, uh, and he's like, so I, so I agreed and, and he's like, okay, fantastic. Here's 400 songs to learn. <laughs> right. Right. Because, uh, and could every- you even read charts at that point? Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and so because I had a great music education, yeah. I grew uh, growing up. I went to um, art schools um, when they were available, and I was um, and I had and the school, the high school that I went to in Vegas was Centennial High School, and sort of a brand new spot way out on the edge of town, and we lived relatively close to it but it was you know the the suburbs of vegas you know the school districts are all messed up at that time it's the early 2000s everything's booming and Mm -hmm. and going crazy Mm -hmm. and so um centennial high school happened to have one of the top five choirs in the high Mm -hmm. school choirs in the country Mm -hmm. um when when i was a part of it Mm -hmm. and and i did all the you know solo and ensemble i did all the regional and national level ACDA uh, stuff. I had also been in band. I played um, clarinet. I played French horn. I played trumpet. Um, basically, whatever the band director threw at me. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, we don't have one of these. Uh, can you play oboe? 
I'm like, I'll I'll try to play those notes. <laughs> I don't. I'll try to play the notes that are on the score, and we'll, right. you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Watch it down the line. I'm gonna let it all ride tonight. Leave my money down, but you can't see that you know me well. Begin a day when we were friends. When when did you realize that that not only you had an interest in music but a natural talent for it i think i think the there was a moment and i think the moment was sophomore year of high school i had kind of burned my bridges in the band department um and i was and i was a little disillusioned and you know my friend circle sort of imploded and so i was like well i know i can sing I'll go over to choir and I had been in choirs before and done, done other stuff like that. And so I went across the, the hallway to the, to the choir room and I, I auditioned for the choir director during a lunch break earlier, early, early on in the, in my sophomore year and, uh, and was, you know, during lunch break in the choir room it's all the cute Mormon girls and all the, uh, everybody's hanging out and chatting and, and, and doing, doing their thing. And I sat down on the piano and played, um, Mark Cohen, uh, walking to Memphis or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Great tune. So super good tune. And one, and one in my catalog that I love to pull out every once in a while. Nice. Um, but, I pulled that out and and sang for her and uh everybody like everybody's chatting and then as I'm going through the song like it gets quieter and quieter and and then I finish the song and everybody was ah! yeah, yeah. Was so good and I was like oh this is a thing this is a and then and then as I had um as I progressed and started learning more songs, um, my dad, I, we had a piano that my granddad had given me or, a, uh, like a clavinova hmm. that my granddad had given me that was his and it was in the garage and I was spending exorbitant amounts of time playing on it. Hmm. And my da- and I was then learning in addition to just kind of figuring out my way around the keys, I was also learning songs and my dad came in one night you know, probably before dinner, uh, the 40th time I had been called for dinner mm-hmm. and was like, man, you're sounding really good. Um, I just wanted to let you know, you know, no pressure or anything, but if you continue to work on that and be, um, and focus on being a singer, key, uh, singer keyboard player, you will be the most employable motherfucker in the whole industry. Because you can accompany yourself, you can do, you can sit in with combos, you can play solo, you can do anything you want. Um, and I really, that really struck me. Like I took that to heart. And then, and that was part of the, part of the reason why I knew I needed to join the band and apprentice, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm just continuously uh, overwhelmed with gratitude for my parents for providing me that opportunity and being, you know, and having, having something like that to do and to get, you know, like I play with dudes who are double doctorates, Mm. Dan Puccio, you know, Shea Marshall, who, uh, who doesn't have a music degree is probably, uh, as 
close to me and my heart and my uh, my approach to things as anybody. Yeah, because as envious as I am, might be for the some of the skills that those guys acquired in um, college, I realized that the reason why I'm the band leader and why I run, why I'm the lead singer and run the show is because of that experience. Mm -hmm. Cause right. that cannot be taught. Right. So, right. um, so again, I just, I just come back to, um, immense gratitude for that opportunity and to be able to, to apprentice and work on my craft in real time and get thrown into a situation where I had to be responsible for the, for the feeling in the room. Right. Right. That's, that's part, that's something when you're, uh, especially when you're a, well, a lot of, a lot of the guys that I work with are jazz musicians. Um, and that's something that I think is often missing in that equation is that yes, in order to get to that level, um, you have to spend a ridiculous amount of time in your room working on them on the music by yourself. Right. And you, and not that much time out in the, in, in the wild, the in the wild, in the world, <laughs> right. working it out and, and seeing what lands. Right. And so sometimes I've, I have found that, I'll, that some of the things that a lot of my jazz, uh, fellow jazz musicians in the lucky devil circuit or the different stuff that I've done, they don't know necessarily that the, that the notes that they are playing or that the, the approach that they're taking has a direct effect on the audience and how, it, right. and how they feel. And sometimes you can get away with bloody murder and you can, you know, do whatever you want. And sometimes it really, it can, um, having too much of a cerebral ap approach or a too much of a show off approach to, um, pop tunes when you're playing on a wedding gig can detract from the, from the mood and, right. and take away from the experience that's happening on the dance floor or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a big difference between let's say what you do and, and what say a, a straight ahead jazz musician would do is that, you know, you're, you're, you're almost equal parts, uh, musician, but also you're an entertainer. You're, you're a natural front man. Mm -hmm. And that's again, something that it's hard. It's hard to, teach that or it's hard to learn that say mm -hmm. <clears throat> in an academic uh scenario that is certainly something that i've found uh is best taught on the road you yeah. know and it just out in front of people and being comfortable and having or, be, or being uncomfortable well right and and knowing how to get out of it right right um yeah that's i feel like that's kind of an old school approach it's it's the it's kind of the the big band model it's it's, mm -hmm. it's you're like the count basie you are you know you're 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 the md but you're also the front person and you have to entertain and you have to be aware of the feeling in the audience and mm -hmm. you have to you know you're you're the spider in this huge web right. and you're pulling all the strings you know um and that's that's a skill that you, you rarely see someone that's a very comfortable front man uh, or front woman mm -hmm. and um super skilled at their instrument you know you can do one or the other but if you can like your father said if you can do all this stuff mm -hmm. you will be extremely valuable to whatever community you are placed in right you know and that's that's awesome i i i also did a i did a three-month run on a on a cruise ship and um i can definitely look back at that experience 
as a as a major turning point for mm-hmm. me, you know, and I can't imagine how long did you do it? Kind of in- four and a half years. Wow. Yeah. And you did you like were the contracts all in the same location? In other words, some of yeah. So we did. Um, we did primarily three cruise lines when I was when I was a part of the band. Um, it was Royal Caribbean, mostly out of Galveston, mm-hmm. um, doing the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. We were out of um, San Pedro in L.A. doing both Mexican Riviera, um, and then later repositioned to um, Seattle or Vancouver for Alaska runs. Nice, um, and then Panama Canal, top of South America, all Central Central America. So I I saw twenty five countries before I was twenty five. Yeah, that's and that's another thing that that I didn't uh, expect. I some of the best travel I have ever done mm-hmm. was on this little cruise ship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that whole aspect. I I said this before but you know i wish i had found that at, at 21 because uh-huh. i would have done it for five years and seen the world like what a better way to uh you know you're you're paid to travel and mm-hmm. and you play music at night like what like yeah. that sounds like a pretty good pretty good deal yes as long as you don't suffer, suffer from claustrophobia right <laughs> so right. that will be a that will be a major hindrance for you if, yes uh also if you can't stay sober Right. Um, or if you if you have self control issues or problems with um, uh, dealing with authority, right. because right. you got a lot of people over you yes. on a cruise ship, and you, it and it is maritime law. Right. And so there are there's not only your entertainment director, right, who's directly above you. There's a cruise director. There is the um, first officer. There's the captain. There's anybody with stripes on right. on board can pretty much tell you what to do, yeah. um, depending on the cruise line. And so for um, for Royal Caribbean, we were guest entertainers, which meant that we were we sort of were in that limb in that yes. in between, right. you know, in between staff and guests, right. in, in a way, right, right. Yeah. So we had we had more privileges. We were able to. Um, go to any pretty much any guest um facility right. and as long as we were comporting ourselves right. uh, properly which I did not always do. <laughs> oh, shit, I mean it I'm early have, 20s. I yeah. mean Jesus. I might have been uh kicked off a Royal Caribbean cruise ship uh in Cozumel permanently. <laughs> um which is a which which is a whole story. Um but you know that was that was a problem that my the whole reason why I had a job in the first place was because my dad had gone through so many musicians who could not handle right. one aspect or another of the cruise life, right. and whether that was the confined uh, spaces or whether that was problems with authority or whether that was drinking or mm-hmm. what, what whatever. Right. Um, it was. Uh, you know, musicians are not known for their uh, temperance and self-control. Right. And so trying to bring on any musicians, especially American musicians who are not, um, you know, not used to being under such a rigid hierarchy. Well, yeah, you're, you're putting a, you're putting a musician in like a military setting. Right. They're like, or at least corporate. Yes. Yeah. Or both sometimes. It's, right? It really is an amalgam of both. Yeah. yeah. So I, it takes a unique person to be yeah. able to pull that shit off year yeah. after year, contract after contract. You know, 
anyway, I I I loved that experience. Um, I'm envious of your uh, four and a half years. I'm sure it was a blast. Um, and I'm just thinking logistically. You're a big guy, right? And oh, these yeah. are small rooms. Oh yeah. Did you have a roommate? Of course, it was my uncle. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I I had I had my own room for whatever reason. Yeah, you were solo guitar. Yeah. The solo yeah. guitar guy. Yeah, yeah. So those guys usually get their own room. The solo piano bar guy gets their own room. Right. Um, typically on the major cruise lines, it's um, it's those guys and maybe one other musician that might get their own room. Right. right. And they're uh, typically above the waterline. You might get a win. You might even get a freaking window. <laughs> I did not have a. I did not have a window. I, on the other hand, was on. Um, deck three below the waterline, yeah. right in the center of the ship. Oh God! And uh, shared a room with my uncle. This is a uh, by room I mean closet. Right, it, they're tiny. Yeah, and I adjusted to it surprisingly well because um, I am very low in uh, neuroticism as far as uh, personality trait. I don't I don't get too worked up about anything um, for the most part. And when I do, then get the hell out of my way. Um, <laughs> but it's also your uncle, right? So right. it's like, listen, you can have a frank conversation. It was very easy to negotiate with him. Yeah. And and he understood that I was like a young guy and I'm like trying to get some on the ship. And like right. there were, we had arrangements. <laughs> but one of the coolest things about being um, deck three below the waterline in the center of the ship was I was literally, I was on the top bunk. Yeah, because um, my uncle's an older guy, obviously, and a bigger guy. He's a you know he's uh, nearly as tall as I, maybe six four or six five. Yeah, um, and so there was no way he was getting up in that bunk. No, in the top bunk. Right. So I was um, in the center of gravity of the whole ship. Yeah, which meant that any movement of the ship I didn't feel. Right, but it was happening to me. And so when I would let you know when you as you well know. When you're not working on the ship, you have dick to do. Right. You have virtually no other responsibilities except in the early days you have to do all the training and you right. gotta do all that stuff. But right. um as as a as a contract progresses, you got nothing to do. You gotta wait. You're on a sea day, you know, it's there's you're just hanging out. Right. And so I had the most unbelievable psychedelic um, out of body experiences being in that top bunk in the in the center of gravity of the ship because basically I would go I would close the curtain on my top bunk yeah. and I would be in the complete pitch dark and I would leave my body no shit I shit you not <laughs> I I developed an astral projection pra- practice I could do lucid dreaming I could do I you know obviously when you're on the ship uh, the 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 availability of the ganj is very very low yeah um, and highly illegal and frowned yes. upon when you're on when you're on the ship and so I could at certain at certain times um, be laying in my bunk and then will myself into being high. will myself into that state of being because I had obviously been there so often. And then I had more because I would be in this like hypnagogic in between dream and awake state. I could choose whether, whether or not I wanted to go into like a, 
a fully deep lucid dream and just go all then burrow all the way down. <laughs> or if I wanted to project my consciousness out in front of the ship and swim, swim out in front and then make my way across the, the planet and make my way into the, into the galaxy, whatever I wanted to do. It was there. It was there for me. Jesus. You know, when I'm zooming through the galaxy, I get real thirsty, and there's only one thing that quenches my space thirst. And it's Moon Juice Galactic IPA from Santan Brewing Company. What? It's the perfect beverage. It's the only beverage that I drink in space. When I'm astroplaning around Uranus, this is the one thing I want to drink. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Santan. Moon Juice Galactic IPA. Check it out. It transcends all earthly pleasures. It, 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 I don't know how they do it, but they've done it. It's called Moon Juice. It's an India Pale Ale. I mean, you can find out more online if you like. SantanBrewing.com. All the information's there for you. Just do it. Those experiences in that hypnagogic state and my my toying with consciousness in that um, uh, era of my life opened the door to so much more creativity and exploration. Um, once I was off on my own, and I'm you know, and I'm performing regularly, I've got I've got good money coming in, and so on the other side of all that, and, and as a part of my maturity and my realization that I had not um, necessarily educated myself to the degree to which my intelligence demanded of me, and and my conscience was constantly nagging at me, like. You should probably get get in some college or you know do something, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I took it upon myself to um, to open the floodgates of the internet and let it all pour into my brain. (laughs) And um, and that's been a one wild and weird process too, because um, and but that culminated all of that knowledge that I that I gained and all of the you know, different things that I explored and that I looked into and, and reshaped my beliefs and all those different things. Um, all of that culminated in this choice to, um, go into body work and Mm -hmm. and, and energy work Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because my, my feeling during the, the lockdowns was that as cool as it is to just let the, 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 floodgates open of the internet and just let all that information pour in it means dick unless you have some way to apply it back to the real world and so um in my considerations of what else i could be doing that would be um helpful to me a good career path for me something that i could maybe even start it start at um, at a, at a monetary rate that would be comparable to what I was at in my music career, which is right. about a hundred dollars an hour, right. which, you know, took me forever to get to sure. that place. Yeah. Um, and is a, and is a constant battle every single new gig that I book. That's not lucky devils or whatever. It's always a constant negotiation process with, with, uh, right. venues and stuff like that. And then, um, not only that, but I felt that, um, I felt a call within me um, that 
I, I imagine is related to my exposure to my granddad as a neurologist and his, and he is like the quintessential Southern doctor. You know, he's got, he's got the perfect bedside manner. He's a very talkative. He's very warm and, and, and expressive and very, um, he's, he's the perfect, he is the guy that you want when you're, when something's going wrong with your brain, Mm -hmm. he is, he is who you want on your side. I'll have to get his number. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, depending on how many drinks we have today, uh, you know, well, I might have to text you that in the middle of this conversation. What brought you out here again? Originally, it was a call from um, Steve Byer Agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through uh, Woody Jarrett. Yeah, I know Woody. Yeah, and they said, you know, we've got this gig in Scottsdale. We're wondering if you're interested. Um, It would be with Marley Taylor from Zoe Zoe Bowie. And I'm like, fuck yeah, you booked my flight already, right? Like, let's Mm -hmm. let's do this. I'm ready to get the hell out of here. And so I um, joined joined Marley doing uh, Ocean Club four or five nights a week, and um, and I'd made the commute from Vegas to to Scottsdale um, every week for seven straight months. Yeah. So, um, and it was, it was, um, wait, you, every day you didn't, you didn't commute every day, not every day, every week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Every week. Yeah. I was commuting every day from Ahwatukee where I was staying with my, uh, with my girlfriend at the time's, uh, best friend. I was living, I was basically staying in Ahwatukee at her place, driving all the way up to Scottsdale to, to North Scottsdale to, to ocean club driving back and then oftentimes on the on the last day of my week on su- Saturday or Sunday I would get in, in the car after playing for 6 hours mm. and and make my way back to Vegas. Oh my god. <laughs> Crawl my way back to Vegas. What a grueling schedule. <laughs> it was grueling. Jesus. Um and then um in the summer of 2013 I I was like, look guys, I got to I can't do this like this anymore i got to get back to vegas and get my stuff in order and and move my move me and my girlfriend out um because she was from here she was from mesa actually okay and so i was i was doing this also in an effort to um bring her because she had moved out to vegas to be with me and i was doing this to like bring her back into the back to her home Mm -hmm. and that relationship didn't work because of the obviously seven months of weird ass separation and the, you know, uh, single mindedness of my, uh, career aspirations at that point. Right. right. And so, um, so, and 20 August of 2013 is when I officially moved here Mm -hmm. and I've been here. I've been here ever since. Yeah. And when did you connect? When did you connect with the lucky devils? About, a year and a half, two years into it, um, yeah. because because of that connection with uh, Chris Pena, right? And um, he was in the band that we so Marley and her husband and I were at Ocean Club, and then Marley, her husband, and I, and Chris Pena and um, and Jordan Tompkins had the Marley Taylor band, and we were playing at Casino Arizona and Blue Martini. Um, and those were right. our regular gigs. And so that's how I got looped in. And, um, and then it, and then I didn't take a gig. I, I was already booked for the rest of the, of that year. It would have been 2015. I was already booked through the end of the year, all oh. the way to new year's. And so I couldn't really take any gigs, even right. though I was kind of in the system as right. it were. And, um, 
and so I, uh, I also declined the producer position because I was already overcommitted and I right. knew that I couldn't really, I couldn't really handle it. Couldn't do both. Couldn't certainly. do both. Yeah. And so then what I did was, uh, 20, I guess, 2016, I, um, I started accepting gig invitations for 2016 and mm. that started mm -hmm. a process of extricating myself from the Mastro's scene, um, little by little. Yeah, I, I see that gig as like the, the golden handcuff gig. Yes, you absolutely. Know, it's like, you know, it's steady work, mm -hmm. decent bread, you know, and, and that, that says a lot, right? And it, and it went through the summer. Oh, yeah. Right. All right. So that's another. Huge. That's bonus. Yeah. Um, and it's, but, but at the same time, you do, you are so locked to this thing. Mm -hmm. they, that, want, they want your whole ass. They want right. all your availability. Right. Um, one of the one of the downsides uh, for a lot of people, including me, after a number of years doing it, was the playing to tracks. Mm. And um, and you know they're straight from karaokeversion.com, um, and they're high quality tracks, but they're still tracks. Yeah, and they sound you know they made the band, they made the three of us or any three musicians that you put together sound better right because there's you know full orchestration More shit there's happening. all the all yeah. the stuff is happening and on karaokeversion.com you can actually customize the tracks to exclude the the piano part or exclude the guitar part or or any of those different things right um on certain tracks and so that was a that was both a blessing and a curse because sure. i was able to do tunes that I would n almost never be able to do convincingly with a with any kind of band. Um, certainly a trio, right? Certainly a trio, right? Not in that way. And it was the ex expectation, and it was the vibe of that time that it was a free after eight p.m. It was a nightclub, right? So I would do six thirty to seven thirty as a solo as solo piano vocals you know kind of do some instrumentals kind of do some vocal tracks and 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 warm up the crowd etc cetera, etc cetera. and then marley would come on come on at eight oh. and um and that created its own issue because people are like well dan well dan's over there working his ass off and marley just gets good well i mean marley uh, Marley is the star. She's the brand. She the she is the brand. <laughs> it's know? the Marley Taylor Trio. Right. And um and I liked it. I liked it, but it was five and a half hours. No, nah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know that. But again, that uh, double edged sword. Mm -hmm. Was it brutal? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Some weeks it was especially brutal. But it it increased my stamina to a level right. that I am no longer scared of any fucking gig. Right. I put me on it all, put me on any of them. Right. I will, I will go and I will, I will crush it mm -hmm. as best as I can for five and a for half, five hours. And a half <laughs> hours if I need to, I'm not scared of it. And, um, how deep was that book? You mean as far as a number? Yeah. I mean, my, my personal number is a, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 songs wow. are in my head. Wow. Um, and I have an eidetic memory for um, songs. Mm. So if you name a song um, that I know, then it will immediately start playing as the record in my, in my brain mm. um, 
in the key in the in the original right, key right and if i if i'm familiar enough with the song and i've heard the track enough times i can hear the more production orchestration i can wow. pick pick that apart man you are you i mean but you're perfect for that fucking gig though right you know <laughs> right absolutely and that's why i worked it for so long I yeah. was, that was another uh that was another four years of my life wow or more four and a half years of my life that was um that was tied up in that one thing yeah and again because i had the um that apprenticeship model right i had the i i had the um the notion that everything that i was doing was part performance and part practice mm -hmm. and um you know and i also had the i had sort of this um ethos from my dad of the the uh, um the beatles um mm -hmm. the beatles like hamburg mm -hmm. you know yep. germany days yep. where they were playing eight days a week right they were doing you six know, hour sets six hour sets yeah and they were you know and that was how they got to be right. the beatles right they didn't just like pop out of nowhere right um with fully formed fully formed yeah <laughs> that it, there was a development process and so For i sure. so i felt that that was um that all of that was more than appropriate for me to go through and, 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 um, you know, incredibly formative for me because also when it comes to the, the experience piece that we were talking about, um, having grown up in that, um, apprenticeship model and, and come up through that, um, through my parents' band, um, I always felt that there was, um, so much for me to, to gain just by the experience of of going through that and pushing myself as hard as I could, and there were things that I learned at Mastros and the ability to read the crowd and the ability to feel the energy in the room, and then and then feel what effect the music that I was playing had on the room, and then respond to that reflecting back to me mm -hmm. and over and over and over again right. every song right and so you can tell you know when you're when you're in that um kind of environment it's super super intimate mm. uh that master's ocean club um and you know the quote-unquote dance floor is right behind my ass uh -huh. and um, that that same ass got grabbed by a lot <laughs> of cougars <laughs> and a lot of uh you know a lot of uh, jaguars yes. and and other assorted yeah. cats, <laughs> and so um, you know, so it was a it was it was an exercise in learning that that ability to tune into the crowd and feel like okay, well, if there are some times where that crowd wants a slow song, mm -hmm. right? But you need to know when that is. Right. You need to feel when that is. You need to understand that you have worn them the fuck out. With right. all your with with seven dance tunes in a row, right? And you need to chill the energy. Well, out and they got bit. they need to go get a drink at the bar. They've right. just been you know shaking their ass for right. forty five minutes. Right. Yeah. Well, let's take a short little break here and um, refill our glass, and and we'll get back at it. Cool. Section at the park at night. Some schoolish things. You might find it you put your cards right, but there ain't no guarantees. No. You ready to let the dogs run and dance upon the tree. I had that part of the the ethos of a cover musician 
uh, instilled into me early on, which is you are there to provide a service. Yeah. It's not about you. And, um, and the, the, you know, this is a conversation that I've had with a lot of my musician friends, which is the differentiation between being an artist and being an artisan and that artist versus artisan thing comes, comes from the, from realizing what the distinction is between Mm -hmm. creating art and providing a service. Yeah. And in most cases, if you are in a restaurant or a bar or a wedding venue or whatever you're doing and you're getting paid, most of the time um you are an artisan and you're and you're building cabinets. And that is good. That's okay. Because a woodworker, for example, needs those fine skills of of their artistry of woodworking and they you need that component of art and the and awareness of your own innate creativity and the ability to bring that forth in in our case as musicians in an m- instantaneous moment that art is created every single moment mm-hmm. um that you bring that that level of artistry into your practice as an artisan and then and then provide the service that you're that you've said that you will provide. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I, I see, no, I wouldn't say a lot of times I would say I have seen, um, people miss that mm-hmm. people who got into music, into a music career because they did it. They wanted to do it for their quote unquote art. And they, they miss out on the distinction between the art and the, and the work. Mm-hmm. And they don't know where their boundaries are, and they don't understand that you know if you're at a if you're at a la- restaurant or a lounge or a cocktail bar and you're playing live music, that the expectation is that you're there to provide a service, and that people are there to um, they're not there for you, right? And if you, it, it's the same thing with the cruise ship idea. Um, if you are of a temperament and of a mindset that you can handle that, you can handle the confined spaces, you can handle being, um, you know, navigating the hierarchy and and all that kind of stuff. Or in this case, if you are capable of differentiating between your art and, and, um, and being an artisan, then you can be incredibly successful and, and, and weave that path and stand in the power that you have as an artist um, by representing yourself correctly and following up on your word. And, right, right. and that's hard for musicians yeah. because we get into it because it's a, uh, often because it's an, an internal obsession right? and it's an itch that we have to scratch. Well, it's a, it's typically, I would say a unique creative expression, right? So if, if you come at it like that, then, you know, there's almost a level of, this is mine, mm-hmm. you know, it's not yours. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes that is the disconnect. It's yeah. like, and I and I struggle with this too. Some nights, you know, in a restaurant setting, I want to play what I want to play. Yeah, I understand that that's not necessarily the best approach, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, I don't know. I I I would have a hard time like doing that that um, Ocean Club uh, hit, yeah. especially with tracks. Is like, where is the art in it? Mm-hmm. You know, but. As you say, it's typically a balance, you know, mm-hmm. and if you can find the gigs that really scratch that, 
that art itch, mm-hmm. right? Art for you, that's your expression. Mm-hmm. But then you, you know, you all, it's also, if you're a working professional performing musician, you have to understand the other side of that coin. Absolutely. And, and, and just balance them out and realize that some nights it's going to feel like the, you know, it's going to feel like a lot more work than it was, you know, the reason why I picked up a guitar sure. when I was in seventh grade or whatever. Sure. Um, you, you need some of those and you need some of the other kind of gigs and, you know, let's, maybe you get to go tour and maybe you get to go do this or that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, and I think that that's another thing that, uh, you learn just as you do it, yeah. right? Again, not really something that can be taught necessarily. Um, you just have to be put in those situations where you can start to realize what the difference is, mm-hmm. you know? Organically. Right. And that's, you know, that's something that has been lost in a lot of fields in our society is that organic learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for me as a... Um, I have had one piano lesson. Um, my ability to do anything that I do has to do with um, my innate ear. I have that. I have that weird eidetic me- memory for music um, with the with the environment that I grew up in. I'm completely immersed in every conceivable genre of music mm. um, when I was growing up. Everybody in the in the house was always listening to music, always playing music. It was classical. It was jazz. It was what was on the radio. Uh, in my parents' case, a lot of times, especially my dad, cause he was trying to keep up on the latest dance songs and what's, what's new, what's hot. Um, and so I had a lot of that, but the, um, but the experience of, I, I mean, for me, what I, what I originally picked up the piano for, was because I love chords. Mm-hmm. I love sonic textures. I love, and I love, um, and as I as I grew and matured as a as a player, I picked up more stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have never picked up more than during my time here in Phoenix, in mm-hmm. in Scottsdale, in Phoenix, um, because of those guys that we've talked about, Shay, Jerry. Um, Emerson, uh, Giannis Gudelis. Yeah, we, we're I'm, so fortunate. We have such an incredible community yeah. of talented motherfuckers. And down to earth. Yeah. And ready to throw down on any gig you invite them to. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a stark contrast to my time in Vegas where it's very, it can be very cliquish. Mm-hmm. It can be very um, insular. Mm-hmm. It can be um, dudes will shank you in the liver for a brunch gig, right? You right. know, because you don't mean anything to them. They're not part of a community, right? And I hope that that um, on the other side of this uh, COVID experience, that that community of musicians. Um, uh, flourishes mm-hmm. in Vegas yeah. and that, and that they become closer knit yeah. as, as I feel like we have, yeah, for sure. um, you know, they're on the break. We were talking about a little bit of the anxiety and the, the, the depression and the, and, and all of these things that afflicted every musician across the entire planet. Yeah. 
it, no one was untouched right. by this. Right. Bruno Mars wasn't untouched by this. Right. There are no name a musician. They were not. They did not come out of this unscathed. Right. And and everybody lost money. Right. Some people devoted their time to their craft. Some people devoted their time to um, sharing, to figuring out new ways of sharing their craft, figuring out new ways of live streaming. I know you've been, you've been doing the live streaming thing. You've been, you've had a, a like a happy hour type thing mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Um, so many people ha- and I, and I ventured out into that and, and you know, I got a two year old, so that's a little <laughs> more complicated for me, <laughs> right. but, um, but ultimately this was an opportunity as, as devastating, uh, financially, and economically, uh, in a in a wider view, as this whole experience was, I think that if you choose to make it a positive, it will absolutely be a positive. Mm-hmm. I have cho- I personally, at a at a certain point, very very early on in the in the lockdown situation, I decided that this was not going to put me down. Um, and we also talked about that, um, that motivation of family. Yeah. I've got a little two year old daughter. I've got a beautiful wife. Um, when I, when I consider what my contribution to keeping them safe and healthy is, um, there's no question that I would do that. I would, uh, stock groceries at Sprouts or what, or, or do literally anything to make sure that they're okay. I love that that you have a silver lining to last year. That's another question that I I, I like to ask people. It's mm-hmm. like you know, how was it last year? Tell me that. Tell me what your silver lining was. Yeah, you know, and and I have so so many silver linings. Yeah, uh, honestly, because um, because I realized that on one level that I had that I had deeply educated myself um, by opening up by opening up my mind to virtually every possibility that was out there. Yeah. Um, and I, and in that moment of the great pause or whatever, (laughs) whatever you want to call it, the great, the, the, the great record stop, um, (laughs) that in that moment I realized I need to do something that will help me integrate into my into my body the lessons that I've learned yeah um, the lessons that I've learned about meditation about energy work about um, uh, so many aspects of the human experience that I never would have been exposed to had I not had the space to explore that right and um, and also that it was truly meaningless if it only ever lived inside if my if my brain was just a giant bowl that i poured unending amounts of information into it spills out it sloshes back and forth it don't stay in there right. until you integrate it right. and so massage therapy was an was an opportunity for me to integrate those ideas and i didn't even realize how how much I would be drawing on past experience um, to help me with the with you know seven hundred and fifty hours in eleven months of massage therapy wow. training. Wow! And um, and I really really felt that that call within me that this 
the world that we're living in is an all hands on deck um, reality. <laughs> it's all hands on deck. Whatever you got, and I got hands, <laughs> and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna put them on, and people. I'm gonna put. <laughs> And I'm gonna put them on some people, uh, and it might and it might be you, Brian. Oh, come on! At some time, you know, um, I got I got some, yeah, I got some kinks all, that we can work out. And and I also again I I realized that um, so many of my musician friends have jacked up bodies from yeah. from our careers, right? The physicality, the, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. you know, if you if you watched me work on a Lucky Devils gig on a 12 to 14 hour plus yeah. all day commitment showing up at, you know, sometimes noon or one for a ceremony setup and a cocktail hour setup and dinner setup and reception setup yeah. and tear down. Oh no. And you know, you know what it's all about. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And there's a, and there is a reason why musicians in general are not that, uh, n- if you're at a particular place in your career, you're not maybe not that hip to doing a 14 hour freaking wedding gig. Right. Where where yeah, I mean your your total play time is maybe four four hours. Right. Um, between cocktail hour and and reception, but you're there. It's an all day commitment. Yeah. And you know that is a an incredibly physical thing. Yeah. And so not only did I know that I wanted to try to help my fellow musicians but i also knew that i couldn't freaking continue doing what i was doing unless i got my body in balance in some way dan lovelock i've kept you longer than i told you i would but it was such a pleasure uh to hear your story get to get a chance to rap with you i'm a big fan of you uh I, I'm just in awe when I watch you play the, the shit that comes out of your mouth and through your fingers and and uh, fuck if you don't know how to get that that party f- r- dancing I don't know who can <laughs> if it ain't you it's nobody <laughs> well I've been there <laughs> let's talk about an intel party next time <laughs> <laughs> well thank you brother thank you sir we will. Uh, I'm sure I will see you around soon. I will be back. Um, I'm as well. You know, I'm moving to Pensacola back home. Yeah, but I will. Uh, but then I'll be back for the whole fall season. I'm cool. going to be doing uh, a ridiculous amount of Lucky Devils gigs. Yeah, I'm going to be playing at Eddie V's. Nice. I'm going to be playing uh, probably at Cock and Tails. Yeah. I'm going to be you know doing, doing continue to to do the scene, and uh, I plan on being you know still still around yeah, so good. um but this is going to be an opportunity for me to um put my daughter in in touch with my family oh, that's and, that's and, important yeah man. and that's gonna i'm sh- she's gonna love it yeah cousins and absolutely oh yeah the beach yeah come on yeah and uh and so uh, you'll be as as i've had to tell a lot of people who have heard that i'm like moving away you haven't seen the last of me <laughs> So cheers, brother. <laughs> cheers, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Too. Appreciate you. You too, man. I would do seven more hours of this. <laughs> <laughs>